0: Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deeson, Garner, and Hanson. Hosted by attorneys Sean Garner
1: and Adam Hanson. Good morning, Yuma. This is Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM KBLU. I'm attorney Adam Hanson. I'm in the studio today with the one and only Mr. Cody Beeson, pushing buttons, turning dials, and trying his best to make us sound good and uh it's a hard job for him i I'm, i my hat's off to him and we've got uh my my partner sean garner as well in the studio and uh i freshly made it back i hope you're doing well hope your weekend was good and hopefully you had a great uh i don't know what to say here um do we still say martin luther king day last mm-hmm. week yeah or weekend or civil rights day i don't know what what quite to say but uh without offending somebody that's listening Whatever does not offend you, that's what I meant to say. That's okay? the day. That
2: What's that? That's the day. Have a happy... Ha-
1: last Monday. Yeah. A uh, four-day weekend. <laughs> Non-offensive holiday. There you go. Uh, but I, uh, I'm i sure you're happy to understand or learn that me and my family made it successfully back from Mexico from our little seven-day vacation. We went down to the Cancun area, and it was an adventure. I've got six little kids, and, and uh, so we were always vigilant about where we were, where our circumstances were and things like that. And, and we had a lot of fun and we made it back. That was, the go- that was the goal. Make it, everybody goes, everybody makes it back and, uh, no man left behind. And that's, that happened. So that's good. I don't know if we'll ever do it again. I, I would like to think we would, we had a great experience. I mean, we didn't, um, we were, to my knowledge, we were never in, an, in a dangerous spot. It just happened to be the time that we were down there, that there were some real issues happening over in, uh. I think it was Masatlan, where El Chapo's son was held up on like an airport tarmac or something. And it was just nasty. I guess people were being killed. And, and so there was a big gunfight. But that was way far away from where myself and my family was. But that doesn't mean that there's not problems that spill over, you know. But it, generally, I think uh, the Yucatan Peninsula is pretty safe when it comes to that stuff. They understand tourism is a big generator of income there and so they try and keep it safe it's not to mean that years ago i think there was an issue at the cancun airport but um we didn't experience any of that other than you know a little bit of throwing up here and there that would, that that's all we had to really deal with
2: you know I, I wanted to ask you you know as a father obviously you're going to see things different than you, you did when you were a teenager going down to mexico or whatever so as a father with all your children your family there at any point did you feel unsafe or anything you know out of the normal that a reason not to do this again or Everything was perfect
1: everything was i don 't want to use the word perfect i don't like to use that loosely right. but but I did not see anything out of order, but we were always constantly vigilant and we took my father down there with us because again, I have six kids, and the idea was that okay, we would separate two kids per person, one adult my myself would have we I would have the care of my little group of two kids, and that way we could divide up the kid care in such a way that when we 're out walking around. I always know where my two are and uh, we're always doing a constant head count and things or we're, we're trying not to uh, stick out as much as we can, right. even though we did, you don't know,
2: fl- yeah, yeah, don't flash cash or anything. Or, right. Yeah.
1: But um, I speak Spanish, so it was it was uh, a benefit down there once they found out that I start rattling off Spanish and then it's like, I'm one of the people there. So I think we weren't as much as a target in that regard. And I was also able to get things done that we needed to get done, uh, tours and things like that and, and get tickets that otherwise I probably would not have been able to acquire had I not had a command of the language. So it was, a, it was a great experience for our family, and they my kids absolutely loved it. We went to some Mayan ruins and learned about some of that history and connection there, and, and it was really cool. I mean, we just had a lot of fun, and they would want to go back in a heartbeat. So would I. I mean, we really just had a great, great time. We got the flights pretty cheap. Cody, you and I talked about this. Yeah. Like, what are, what are our options to get down there? And that's really what it was about. Like, I didn't want to spend a fortune on this. This was going to be my kid's Christmas present. Instead of doing gifts, we were going to do an experience. But I didn't want to break the bank. And so um, if we were going to fly out of the United States, it tended to be three, four times more expensive than flying out of, for example, Mexicali or Tijuana. We ended up flying out of Tijuana and we used um, it, those that are listening. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but recently within the last, I don't know, five, six years, they built this sky bridge entrance to the Tijuana airport. So you park in the in San Diego uh, long-term parking, and they've got all this, all these facilities there, and you walk up, or you walk into this facility, and then you go through Mexican immigration as you're going through this tunnel, and then you walk into the Mexico side. Once you're in the Mexico side, you go through their final immigration thing, and you get your visas or whatever you got, whatever you need to do your your stint there, and then you walk right into your terminal, and then you you, you get on your plane and fly. So, because we did it that way it was considered a domestic flight. Oh no kidding. All right. From Mexico From Mexico, yes. Yeah, yes you're not going from America, from Chihuahua yeah. to Cancun, which is a huge benefit when landing in Cancun. So had we gone from Phoenix or from San Diego themselves, once you land in Cancun, that's an international flight. That's considered an international flight there in Mexico, and so we would have had to go to another customs and, and immigration line which tends to be really backed up. And, you know, it's it's just a horrible experience. I've talked to other friends that did that. And they said they've been in that line for like four hours sometimes. And it's hot and it's humid. And, and it's just not a fun experience, especially when you have little kids all around you and constantly worrying about where they are. And so not only were the the flights cheaper from Tijuana, but it was really easy because we went through that tunnel. And I I didn't go through a lot of process ahead of time. I, I'd read com- conflicting things online as to Do I do my visa stuff ahead of time, the Mexican visa stuff ahead of time, or uh, do I just do it there on the spot? I knew they were going to have forms and stuff to fill out, and I I would read things like, well, I filled my stuff out online, and then I printed it, and I was all ready to go, and I went to this went to the immigration desk and they're like, this isn't the form you need or you didn't fill it out right, you gotta redo it. And so I was like, you know what, I'm not even gonna play around with that, I wanna deal with that. So we showed up, we had all of our stuff in order, our American stuff, we had passports, we had everything we needed on the to get back in, You know, that's right. what I was really worried about. Um, and then they asked, well, do you have the visa? And I said, I tried to get it, I couldn't print it off. And they said, okay, just walk over here. I handed them all these passports, there were nine passports in total, they scan them, and then they printed out the Mexican visas for us and then once we went to the actual immigration desk in the it's called the CBX the cross border express once we went to the immigration desk on the mexican side in the CBX the guy looks at all of these he looks at the passport he looks at the visas that they just printed out and then he stamped them and then handed them back to me so i didn't have to fill anything out by hand at all i just handed him my passport and these these papers that they gave to me and then uh, when we came home we went from cancun back to tijuana to the CBX, to the cross-border exchange terminal. And uh, so I didn't have to go through another round of immigration there either because that's a domestic flight from Cancun to Tijuana. So I didn't have to go through another customs round um, going back, uh, or or at least Mexican customs. Obviously, once you start walking into the United States, you go through that bridge. um, And that was really easy. I mean, we went through the U.S. immigration that was really easy to do you know and they we just hand them the passports and they looked at the kids we smiled we laughed and told some jokes and and then we walk in we put our bags on the conveyor belt the the carry-ons that we had they scan them for drugs i imagine and things like that and we we go on our merry way feeling so good that we're back on american soil and i said that to my kids i'm like every time i get back to the united states i just feel so much better like i feel okay i'm home you know regardless of whether i'm in a airport terminal or not. I, I just feel like, okay, I'm safe again. Like I'm yeah. back
2: home. You have
1: rights and protection. Yeah. Uh, but it was a great trip. And anybody that's thinking about doing something like this, I mean, uh, it uh it is easy. Do your research online. And uh, I would highly recommend if you're going to go down to Mexico, down to Cancun, you're going to anywhere in Mazatlan, if you're going down to Cabo, the best way, in my opinion, is to use that San Diego cross-border express terminal because you're going to get the the flights cheaper through Mexican airlines and um, it's really an easy process and you don't have to worry about it. Uh, We've got to go to a break. This is Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM KBLU. We'll be right back. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next
0: on Life, Death, and the Law right here after this.
3: Hey you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner & Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner and Hanson has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.
0: You're listening to Life, Death and the Law, presented by Deeson Garner and Hansen, the law firm that has been voted yuma's Best 6 years in a row.
1: Welcome back. This is 5:60 a.m. KBLU Life, Death and the Law. I'm attorney Adam Hansen and I'm sitting next to my partner Sean Garner and we've got the wonderful Mr. Beeson in the in the studio uh, today as well, pushing buttons and turning dials and things like that. Uh, prior to the break, we were talking about uh, my recent trip to Mexico with my family of, of six kids and my wife and then we brought along my dad and uh, for extra help, you know to watch over the kids. And it went really well. I talked about how we used the Tijuana Airport. We flew out of there, but we used this new uh, sky bridge that goes from San Diego, the San Diego United States side to Tijuana terminal uh, and you, you just go through this and do immigration. As you go through the tunnel and it made it really seamless and easy for us and when we went it it was we when we drove over there obviously as we started to descend down the mountain range from alpine area and down past uh, you know the casino golden acorn we um, encountered a lot of rain you know it was raining and drizzling the whole time it was cold Um, and then we got on the the plane and we flew out of tijuana it was raining the whole time and then we get to Cancun and it wasn't raining. I mean it was it was beautiful. It was like 74, 76 seventy-six every day. We're wearing shorts and we're wearing t-shirts. And then when we come back seven days later, it was and we land in Tijuana in the San Diego area. It's still raining, you know, it's still gloomy, it's all overcast. And then a few days passed and, and then we I had to go back to San Diego for a church thing um, with my wife and on on that following Saturday and it was again raining and and uh, overcast and cold. I had to have jeans and a t-shirt and a light jacket, you know? And so I I bring this up because uh, not shortly after that, I get back to town from San Diego on that Saturday and my dad makes a comment. He says, have you heard? And I said, heard what? And he said, the good news, we're out of a drought because, you know, all the snow up in Idaho and all the snow in Utah and all this rain down here in California. So we're out of the drought. And my first thought was, why does the government constantly think that it can control the weather or control our circumstances and of water? Because we've been hearing for a long time now, oh, it's because of this drought, 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 drought we've got we've got to raid the water supply or we've got to take the Colorado River and divert it to these other areas that really crucially need this water, and it's to our detriment and I'm thinking what is, does the government really think that they can control? things like God, you know, like the weather and, and this water source, they always insert themselves thinking, and prematurely I would say at that, if they if they would have done nothing or had no policies in place, we would be fine. We would be fine. The last time we experienced a true drought or, or a flood was probably three decades ago. And, Sean, you've been really big into the water issue lately, and um, you know more of it than I do, but my, my initial impression was... I I'm just kinda I get frustrated when the government thinks that it can insert itself and, and fix our problems that aren't even problems. I mean they're they're foreseeable problems, but you don't need to do anything about it, just let it play out.
4: So in a large sense, yes, I agree. I think that the government makes things much more difficult than it needs to be otherwise. If if they allowed normal people to operate just on a common sense level, we'd be so much better off than all these experts in these bureaucratic positions. But um, let me take a couple steps back. So Wade Noble had been on the show a couple months ago and he's one of the foremost uh, lawyers in water law. He'd, he's been practicing water law in Yuma for over 40 years. And so I talked to him when I want to know what's going on with the water issues. And I had, I ran into him at a wedding and I asked him, I said, Hey, with all this rain and everything that's going on, a lot of the snowpack is increasing in the mountains. Um, what's going on with the, water situation. And I know there's a lot of negotiations that are going on, especially with the water master who controls the outlet of Hoover Dam and Glen Canyon Dam and the downflow to the streams to us. And I said, are we, are we out of the, this grim situation, the drought scare? And he said, no, we're not. And I said, really, why not? And here was his initial take. And you touched on it a little bit, but I want to expand on it that it's God that controls the water. It's We can't go in as a government and fix this. We can't go in and just sign off a, a treaty between states or even countries and, and, and make the problem go away. We need to correct our actions as a people. We need to return back to God. We need to, you know, like Alexander Tocqueville noted, America's great because it's good, but when it ceases to be good, it'll cease to be great. And it is in the... Process of ceasing to be good, and therefore it's declining in its greatness. And we need to return to core values, family values, just social decency, and I think then we can look at problems on a larger scale as a people, not as a government, but as a people working together, and we can adapt for climate issues. I mean, you go from day to night, and you're going to be uncomfortable if you don't, rely on human ingenuity to adapt, right? You, you go outside during the daytime and it's wonderful. It's glorious. It feels very good, right? Especially this time of year. But you go in, but you stay outside at night and you're going to get cold. You want to go inside and, uh, you, you know, you use your either heater I don't know if you really use your heater at this time of year, but you, some, some sort of climate control, whether it's a r- just the roof over your head and your door is shut, then that's fine. But that is human ingenuity to somewhat control the climate. And the same thing goes with the flooding and everything that's going on right now. We're, we're seeing that there's huge flooding issues in L.A., And in all across central California, because there's these atmospheric rivers that have been flowing through one system after another. And they call it an atmospheric river because it's literally like a river in the sky. There's so much water flowing through the clouds in the sky that it's drenching and and pouring down in a couple of weeks what would be received in that area over the course of six months. And what it's doing is it's flooding out some areas and some people are dying. And most of the news that you watch about it, that's what you'll hear. You'll hear about all the catastrophic issues that are occurring, all the property damage that's resulting, and it's resulting because of climate change that has been caused by quote-unquote us, human activity. Um, I have a different opinion on that, but regardless, I think that either way, human ingenuity could allow for us to correct that. And uh, or at least adapt to it. And uh, what the bigger issue is, is there's 40 million people that rely on the water supply in the Colorado River. And we were talking just this summer how the Colorado River was drying up. And there was tons and tons of documentaries about how the West was dying off. And You could see documentaries all across the world. BBC, there were documentaries. And um, YON News in India, there were documentaries about how California was essentially going to be just a desolate desert in just a few years because the Colorado River was drying up. And now the reservoirs are filling up quite a bit. The snowpack is 200% of its annual average right now. And, uh, I mean, let's not blow that out of proportion. That's two times its annual average. I was talking to my son. He's like, 200%. How could that possibly be? I'm like, oh, 200% is two, two times the amount of snow. That's normal. He's like, okay. But, um, so let's let's talk about this a little bit. Let's just go down some of the figures here. Lake Shasta was at about 30% during the summer and declining. And boats were stranded. Now it's currently at 84%. That's the largest reservoir in California. We got Lake Orville that is 105%. They're starting to currently release water out of the dam in in Lake Orville downstream to prevent the flooding that would occur during a normal spring because of the melt that comes out of the snow melt that comes out of the mountains. We got uh, New New Bullard's Bar is 125% of its average. Folsom, 126% of its average. Comanche, 125% of its average. We've got... uh, Diamond Valley is 84% of its average. And uh, let's take a look over. Pine Flat, 126% of its average. I could keep going on and on. But these reservoirs have filled back up. Now, what are reservoirs but man-made adaptations to differing situations in the climate? We know that the river is not going to flow steady all year round or from year to year. We know that it's going to be wetter during certain parts of the year and certainly wetter from one year to the next. In fact, we don't have to look very far back to 2017 where it rained and snowed so much that uh, the Oroville Dam, even the spillways over the top, were um, overwhelmed. and, and And it basically washed out all the spillways because there was so much water. But we just focused on the drought just six months ago. We didn't focus on all of those wet years. Reservoirs are human adaptation to climate change or variations of climate from year to year. And if we concentrate on Lake Powell filling back up because of that snowpack, because of the rain, then what we do is we kneel down and we thank God for granting us a little bit more time in this probation that we have here to demonstrate whether or not we're going to be good, decent people or whether or not we're just going to turn away from him and argue against one another and commit all towards types of um, bad acts and, and sin in general. That's what we need to be doing. I think we need to be thanking God that we have some type of ingenuity that we can prepare for the climate change, that we can adapt to the climate change, and thank him for allowing us a little bit more grace and time to prosper in the wonderful land that we have, as opposed to, okay, now we've We've avoided one catastrophe for one year. Let's rely on the government then to set up another program that uh, will dictate how we manage our resources for the next year, just like you were saying. We're going to take a break. This is 560 AM KBLU,
0: Life, Death, and the Law. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this.
3: you my Dave Ramsey here if you listen to our show or know anything about us then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in that's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason Garner and Hansen I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free no pressure seminar and learn all of your options the firm of Deason Garner and Hanson has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.
0: You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row Welcome back,
4: Yuma this is 560 AM KBLU Life, Death, and the Law Sean Garner here I'm an attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hanson and although we focus on estate planning and helping families avoid having their hard-worked legacy go through the court process and uh, stripped by government bureaucrats by doing proper estate planning, we also focus a lot on the community at large and our state and our country and our world and what we're doing here on earth in order to make things around us better. And we look at the news and and one issue that I I constantly struggle with is trying to stay positive positive trying to avoid an ulcer and also stay up on the news Uh, because there's a lot of bad news out there. And the reality is there's also a lot of good news out there, but it doesn't sell. It's not sensational. It doesn't scare people. And fear sells. And so does any type of scandal. And so when things are going well, we don't cover that. And also um, when we feel like, Things are going wrong in our life. We're quick to turn and either deny that God exists, because if he if He existed, our life would be perfect. Bad things wouldn't happen to good people. Mm-hmm. And um, and also, or, or curse him for allowing bad things to happen to us. But when good things happen, how quick are we to turn to him and thank him for all that he has given us, all of our blessings? Well, right now, we're in one of those periods where we're receiving... Massive blessing, and that is um, the rain is falling and filling up the reservoirs again. I talked a lot about in the last segment um, how the reservoirs in California, m- most of them are actually above what the historical average is, where all, where all of them were in severe drought stages previously. Lake Shasta is still right at, it's not at its historical level yet, but it's like 84% and climbing, and the snowpack in the Sierras um, are. 200% of their average. And so we're predicting that the, the the Lake Shasta and that reservoir will fill up by the springtime as long as we don't release it out um, as we have in previous years into the ocean. So what about Arizona here? We, we, we focus on Lake Mead and Lake Powell. Those are the largest reservoirs in the nation. And those are the reservoirs that supply us with water. They haven't filled up as much. And the reason why is because they don't get as much direct rain as the other reservoirs in California. They don't get as much runoff. What, they're, they're filled by tributary streams, primarily the Colorado River, which is um, fueled by snow in the mountains. And so we've got to wait a bit. The snowpack in the mountains, in the Colorado mountains, is 200%, again, um, of what it normally is. And so it's looking really, really good. So the flow for, that we should get this year is going to be much higher than years past. So what we should be able to do is stock some water away. Does that mean we, we waste water and irrigate more than we need to or even irrigate fields that um, have been fouled and, and aren't needing to grow crops? No, absolutely not. I still think that we need to be cautious. We need to look at long-term flows and, and be considerate about how much water we use. But things are very much improving, and we're not hearing that in the news, but that is the reality. And as long as we just use common sense in managing our resources and the ingenuity that's been put in place, the reservoirs that have been built, then um, then we're, we're in a great situation. We need to acknowledge that and uh, thank God for it and continue to realize where our blessings come from so we can um, act accordingly. I'll follow up with that on one thing that I see as positive news, but it's getting so much coverage because the media sees it as, as potentially negative and contentious, and that is there's a lot of gridlock in Congress and in the government right now. And that's because we have a Republican-controlled Congress, and we even have a fractured Republican Party in Congress, and uh, we've got a Democrat-controlled Senate and, and of course, President. And uh, then there's these issues with these confidential papers and, and top secret papers that have been found in, um, in Biden's garage and other adjacent rooms that we don't know what those adjacent rooms are, whether there's closet or his bathroom or his bedroom or whatever. It was painful to watch it, but I watched the um, White House press on a uh, press release on these papers and, uh, you know, Jean-Pierre, Kareem Jean, Jean-Pierre um, was explaining how transparent the White House has been. And, um, I listened to it for a half an hour. And if anybody wants to prematurely go through purgatory, um, go ahead and listen to that. It is, it is painful because all you hear is how well the White House is dealing with this issue of these papers being found. Now, I don't want to get so sidetracked here that, okay, yes, there are scandals out there that President Biden is involved in as well. And what that's doing is that's choking the government, the government mechanism from going forward. And I see all of that gridlock as good news the media is putting that off as well the government's not able to do their job they're not able to um, propose new bills and pass new laws and i'm, I'm saying great stop it i mean add more restriction and
2: taxes to people uh, yeah
4: yeah that's exactly what i want if i if i knew that i we could vote a certain way to create a blockade in the government each year rather than have even a single party even the party that i affiliate with which is largely republican and uh i i would do it every time because bigger government never leads to solutions in fact case in point i drive by to my office every morning the arizona veterans um, home that is built right off of 6E, 6E and 32nd Street it's a brand new home, if you don't know about it, um, it it was announced in 2018, it was to open in 2020, they were a bit behind schedule and for the government that means two and a half years and uh, so it's open now and I've met the administrators over there, they're great people, they're admitting new residents and uh, that, that's very good news, I'm, I'm glad that it's open, here's the, here's the thing that confuses me a bit Number one, they have a lot of shade that is built up in the parking area. Um, And this administration has been preaching that solar is our salvation out of this, this energy crisis that we're facing. But there's no solar on any of the shades in the parking lot. So I thought that was a bit weird. And the roof is completely flat, which is typical for Arizona, but there's no solar on the roof. So they built this new federal building while they're imposing energy restrictions are pr- at least hiking the price on energy for us when it comes to fuel, but they're not even implementing themselves the policies that they're preaching. And number two, I couldn't count the amount of lightning rods on that building. There's literally over a hundred. It's unbelievable. And so I'm looking at this building and I'm thinking, what is going on now in DC? I suspect there's a lot of thunderstorms. I've never lived in DC or even visited DC. I, I need to. Um, but, I've been to the east, and I know there's a lot of lightning and thunderstorms. And uh, so for certain areas, you build buildings different ways, right? You build slanted roofs with metal on the top for high-altitude areas with a lot of snow. And in Arizona, where we don't get a lot of rain and snow, we build flat roofs. But we don't typically put a ton of lightning rods on. If you do, you might, might, if you're going to be very prudent, put on one or two. But there's over 100. And you know that each one of those are fastened to a very thick copper cord that goes four or five feet into the ground. I mean, that's costing a lot of money. That could probably contribute to how long overdue the, the building was. And I point that out to my son. I said, see all those lightning rods? That is your federal bureaucracy at its best. And uh, so get the government gridlocked great news. So if you want good news for the day, there's government gridlock, there's a lot of end fighting, people aren't getting along and bills aren't being passed and that means we as the people can go about our business without some more interference and that's that's the good news for the day. Despite the gridlock that's occurring in Congress, we do have some very interesting bills that are proposed something that I would strongly support. One is either a flat tax or getting rid of the income tax. Can you imagine that? Not having an income tax? And you you might stop and pause for a moment and say, well, we do need some type of revenue to run the government. Um, Okay, well, let's just assume that's true. And say that we can do that with other means of taxes. There are nine states out there that run perfectly fine without any income tax. In fact, we do a lot of estate planning and we see a lot of winter visitors come here And we look at where they've lived previously and where their current residence, their permanent residence is located. And a lot of times we see that it's in these places that don't have income tax. And so these states, they're doing something right. They're attracting people that don't want to be subject to this taxation. And and what I see is very unfair. It's the, the more you produce, the more you contribute to society, the higher rate of tax you're going to pay. And that's called the tax bracket. That you, if, you, if you do a lot and you produce a lot, you're going to be in a higher tax bracket. And so these states have found ways to run their governments... And Tennessee is one of them, runs a surplus nearly every year, has a constitutional requirement to balance the budget every year. Every every state that I know of has that constitutional requirement on a state basis to balance its budget every year. Arizona certainly does. Um, But our federal government doesn't. And that's very backwards. And so there are proposals to implement that same type of system on a federal level that if these states can do it let's follow that model and I think that's a wonderful thing do I think that it'll actually go anywhere with a Democrat controlled Senate and Democrat controlled president no I don't even know if it's really a serious proposal if there were Republicans in the Senate and in the presidency if that would be even a proposal because so many people have relied on the entitlements that come from this massive influx of taxes and, and flow of taxes and, and, and the continuing borrowing without even any accountability there. So I don't think that it's, it's a reality. It's even a serious proposal. But it's a proposal. It's something. So if we're talking about positive news, that's something out
2: there. Well, I mean, and that's the kind of stuff that you tell your representative, this is what we're interested in. This is what we want you to, to sign on to. Right. I mean, because they all come around every couple of years. They they ask for your signature. They ask for your donations for their campaigns. Um, but they, they, they ask to talk to you. Tell them what you want to hear. Tell them this is the kind of stuff. Yeah.
4: And a few months ago, we were on the radio, and we were talking about if
2: we were king for a day,
4: what would we change in the laws of this country, uh, and particularly federal laws and and, and um, how we interpret the Constitution. And one of those was flat tax, Right. Don't punish anybody for being more productive. Tax everybody the same, and then if there are needs, which there certainly are, there are people that have disabilities and people that can't work and people that are elderly or people that are um, that lose their parents and are children and need support. So I, I, I agree that the state can go and provide some type of support. But the entitlement system that we have is totally backwards. Anyway, it's a flat tax that would provide for some sort of safety net, but would get people off the couch and and incentivize to work. So that was one thing. This new tax proposal is somewhat closer to that. It's, okay, we're going to do away with the income tax, get a balanced budget every year for the federal government. And, And the other issue that was on that top 10 list was you can't pass a law that has more than one subject in the in the particular bill so singular single subject bills and that's actually now a proposal in congress and uh it's in the house and it's going to be submitted to the senate and the senate we believe will probably kill it so it'll never make it to the president's desk but um, wouldn't that be great in fact i can't imagine running a business or even my home any other way if we go to the family table and we say okay listen we're going to agree on a set of rules." And we're only going to talk a little bit about one rule, but there's going to be 10 rules in here in this paper that I'm going to make you guys all commit to. And we're going to have a very limited discussion, let's say 10 minutes, and then I want you guys all to vote on it, and uh, we're going to go forward. My kids would rebel to that, and, and my kids are young, and and I have quite a bit of authority in my household, but every single one of them would see right through that. They're going to say, there's no way we're going to agree to something that we don't. you're not even explaining to us that so we can't look and read it ourselves. And then you advance it a little bit. Adam, you and I set up businesses. We put together LLCs where we do um, operating agreements that determine how income is going to be used when it's generated by a business and how bills are going to be paid and how taxes are going to be um, paid out and, and how the management's going to be run. And then also the succession plan of that business. And those operating agreements are pretty comprehensive. Some you, know, you can get online, for, they're five pages. Ours are typically 25 to 30 pages. They're pretty comprehensive operating agreements. And I'll tell you what, when there's a business in town that hires me to do that, I put a lot of time and effort into doing that, and it, those are the things that keep me awake at night. Okay, am I making sure that I'm thinking of everything about this business? And we spend days, weeks, on reviewing that operating agreement, because that's how that business is going to run. That's 30 pages. And that's a small business here in Yuma. 4,000 pages was the last bill that got passed in Congress, and they had 24 hours to read it and vote on it. That is absolutely unimaginable that any country, let alone community, small business or family could operate on that type of mentality. So this single subject bill requirement is that you only get one subject in the bill. And we're going to discuss that one subject, and we're going to vote on that one issue. We're not going to have these huge omnibus bills anymore where you pack everything you, need, you want, all the pork that you want for your special interests, and give us 24 hours. And, and the single subject bill um, is also going to require at least 72 hours to read. E- I mean, 4,000 pages, even if you had 72 hours, even if you had 72 days, you're not going to be able to comprehend that much material. So hopefully that would gain some traction. I don't see how anybody with common sense could dispute that that's a good idea. You have one subject per bill and the actual lawmakers that are going to vote on it have to have at least three days to read it.
1: Going back to your tax conversation earlier, I mean, some people would, I remember years ago, Mitt Romney like scoffed at the idea of a of that, a flat tax. Yeah. It was when he was running for office. I think it was back in 2012, 2012. And um, so that, that got brought up in one of the rallies or something. And he was like, that's a ridiculous idea. Uh, and that was the first time I'd really actually heard it proposed. I'm thinking, why is that a ridiculous idea? In fact, your church... Mitt Romney that you go to has a, if you want to consider it a flat tax, he has to pay 10% of his money, his income to his church through tithing means, and that seems to be working for his church. You know, why wouldn't it work for us as the American people? Everybody pays their fair share of of a percent, you know, a percentage. If I have zero or I have very little uh, that I'm making in a given year, then my percentage is going to be a lot lower, but it's still it's still the same for all of us, and that gives some money into the coffers. But another thing that I had a thought of when you were talking, Sean, is I think there's a misunderstanding, or, or um, I think people think of the the government as a whole. When you use the word government, I'm talking really about the federal government or the state state uh, government as like this boogeyman out there, and you don't want to you don't want to get in trouble with them, and and that's right, you don't. But at the same time, I think we have this idea that they need this money from our taxes to continue to operate. Well, that would be true if, if uh, we were continuing to uh, support these programs that it implements through these four thousand page bills. That would be true if we needed to pay for their salaries and things like that. My argument is that we don't. If we didn't have all these programs, if we didn't have to. Pay all this money to those that were serving in Congress, or serving in a government capacity, in these agencies like the FBI and the CIA and the the I don't want to say Border Patrol because a lot of us uh, know Border Patrol people here in, in town, but
4: and we know that they are trying to do a good job in securing our border, but they're being hamstrung by the current uh, policies.
1: And maybe maybe they don't. Maybe they get lumped into what I would argue for our taxes to be used for would be the defense of our nation. So you're not
4: saying defund the police. You're not saying defund anything that's actually working to support and to make sure that our safety is, is secured and that that our rights aren't uh, infringed upon. And that's the proper role of the government to secure our safety and to um, make sure that our rights are upheld.
1: Absolutely. So I'm not saying, you know, defund the police. What I'm saying is there are government agencies out there that don't need to exist that, they are a waste of our money and a waste of our time, and we are subject to their authority. We've got the ATF out there that just recently released some new rules. Well, they changed definitions such that now most Americans are felons because of guns that they probably already have. And most likely this is going to be challenged uh, constitutionally by you know all sorts of different groups out there, and hopefully it does because... The ATF is an example of an agency that just is wielding authority and making rules without going through the proper means of a house and Senate and, and a president signing an actual bill. They're just saying, no, if you have a gun that's shorter than this length, then it's you're, you're a felon. Now, now you're going to be subject to 11 years in prison and fines and things like that. And we want you to come, there's, there's solutions here where you can, okay, just give us your gun or uh, turn it over to us, or you're going to have to break it down or, or ruin that gun. So there's all sorts of different options you can do, but you definitely can't own it or possess it if it's you know smaller or shorter than this particular length. And now all of us Americans that have a, a, a gun like that, that has not been an issue over these years and hasn't been proved to be an issue in any crime or anything like that, it's just willy-nilly throwing out there these definitions, then now we're subject to all these
4: penalties. Well, I have an easy solution to that. This is a strategy that's been used by the Democrats for a long time. We just create sanctuary cities, (laughs) right? There's sanctuary cities because the federal government is in control of determining immigration and border security but uh, sanctuary cities are in direct conflict with federal law. They're saying, we don't care. We're not going to enforce immigration law in our city. So you can come to our city, and we're not going to enforce the federal law. What has the federal government done in response to that? Any backlash? We, We see any fighting? We see any National Guard going into the city, dismantling the mayor's office? No. And that is actually unconstitutional, because in the Constitution specifically, aligns that power to secure our borders with the federal government so for there to be sanctuary cities to uphold the second amendment right that is a constitutional basis for doing what we're doing and then we're saying hey federal government you're violating our rights the bill of rights was put in there specifically to allow us to have guns so that when you did try to do what the forefathers saw that you were going to do we would have guns to say nope not going to happen here
1: i love that idea i absolutely love it we got to go this is Life, Death, and Law, 560 AM KBLU. We'll talk to you next week.
0: If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Decent, Garner & Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.
3: you my dave ramsey here if you listen to our show or know anything about us then you know i only recommend products and services i trust and I believe in that's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason Garner and Hansen I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free no pressure seminar and learn all of your options the firm of Deason Garner and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years and this is the only area of law that they practice Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit YumaEstatePlanning.com.